and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the wonder of wonder so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Wonder by RJ Palacio. Joining us to discuss this middle grade inspiration porn is librarian Angie Manfredi. Hi, all. Hi, Angie. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. It's such, it's so exciting. Uh, For those who don't know, Angie was one of our very first guests in the very early days of the podcast, and she read Theo Boone, Kid (laughs) Lawyer by John Grisham with us. And we thank her for that service. And it's a really interesting uh, juxtaposition of this book where this kid gets bullied all of the time for stupid reasons and a book where we want it to bully the kid all the time (laughs) for legitimate adult reasons. That's right. (laughs) We did. A book, Theo Boone was a book where a kid deserved to get bullied by his classmates. Yeah. You know, some people after the episode, some people on Twitter were like, I don't think you should ever say that a kid should get bullied. And I was like, yeah, but you didn't read Theo Boone, though. (laughs) (laughs) But just to be clear, our podcast stands as you should never bully a real life living child. But a fake child that John Grisham made up seems like fair game to me. (laughs) Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, speaking of not bullying, we have a couple things we want to get out of the way, right? Just the tippy top. Uh, one is maybe you saw we were doing Wonder or you started listening to this podcast and you're like, wait a minute, like, I love Wonder. I'm a teacher and all my students love Wonder and the message of Wonder is so beautiful. And uh, what's bad about Wonder? And the long answer is we'll, t- we'll talk about it. But uh, the-, <laughs> the shorter answer is um, that the- Wonder, as we'll dig into, it's about a boy with a facial difference or facial disfigurement. Um, in the book, she never says specifically, um, you know, what, what the details of Augie's condition are. Outside of the book, RJ Palacio has said that it's basically uh, Treacher-Collins syndrome is what Augie has. And so she herself as the author does not have a craniofacial disorder. And so there are a lot of kids, adults, people with with craniofacial disorders who have been hurt by this book, who don't care for this book. And um, so we will on our website link to some articles or stories that they have written. And so if you are someone who loves this book and has never considered any any drawbacks to the book's very heavy-handed moral, uh, maybe check those out because, you know, Kate and I and Angie, we all... Uh, also, are you know, do not have craniofacial disorders, just like R.J. Palacio. We're all just like her in that sense. So it's, this is not uh, an own voices issue for us either. So we want to boost those voices and click on those links so that you can hear what they have to say. But also, you are listening to this podcast, so you will also be listening to what we have to say. Truth. Or you've yeah. turned this podcast off already because you're like, fuck you. I love wonder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, um, you're not alone. A lot of people really love Wonder. A lot of kids love Wonder. And and I will get into it. I can, kind of, I can see why, especially for teachers. Like, the book's moral, very objectively, definitively, is that you should choose kindness. And that's nice. <laughs> is it, though? <laughs> <laughs> when deployed correctly and not when used to weaponize Twitter, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. 
I think that we should address a very important part of this book before we start, which is that it is titled off of the Natalie Merchant song, Wonder, <laughs> which up until reading this book, I had assumed was about a virgin birth and not about <laughs> whatever the hell it's actually about. And Wait, even, even lyrics, until now, like, even after the movie came out and all that, like, up until up until this moment, you thought it was a... Sorry, no, I just I want to dig into this. No, I read it before the movie came out. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I went and read the lyrics, and if you take the quotation marks out of the lyrics, my reading is still valid. And you can't <laughs> tell quotation marks when you're listening to a song on a CD. Oh, you so thought I'm just the putting song... that out there. Wait, you thought the song Wonder was about a virgin birth? Yes. I thought you meant you had thought that this book was about a virgin birth. No, I, like, I thought sure. the song Wonder was about a virgin birth. I'm glad we well, got this cleared up. <laughs> and actually, you know, I, I that's one of the things about this book. I think this book is really about God. Um, it talks about God a lot more than 99% of middle grade books, certainly those uh, not written specifically for the Christian market. There's a lot in this book about God and about how heaven and about what you look like in heaven and about what you do in heaven and about how God behaves and how you can be God-like. So I I, I think that I could absolutely see even hearing that Natalie Merchant song, which is, I think, obviously about a person, but it's also about the wonder of people and differences. So I totally get that, you know, and I, I think that's I that's one of my big issues with why this book is so popular in schools. Um, I would I'm I would be upset if my kid was reading this and I were not Christian. Um, and I it's it's very gaudy and. I think that's not, I think that's by intent, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. That's very very Christ centered, and there's that joke at the end where the you know the principal says the thing about or like or whatever politically correct spiritual thing you believe in. Well, I don't believe in anything, principal. So shut your fucking mouth, because I go to this public school. So you know, this, I, I, I this yeah. book uses the phrase politically correct more often than right. I would care yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> so this book is, it is the story of a, a boy named August Pullman, who, as mentioned, has craniofacial disorder of some kind. In the book, he's, he just says, you know, whatever you're imagining, a boy with like a bad face will look like mine's worse. Like, it's just the worst thing you could imagine. And no one ever wants to look at my face because it's the worst thing. And he has been homeschooled because of that. And also because of... His condition means he's had to have a lot of surgery, so he needs a, he couldn't have kept up with a regular school schedule. But now his medical condition is more stable, and he's about to start this very fancy private school. This is a this is a family with some money. That's not just for the record. Everyone in this book has got some money, except for one of the scholarship kids. But um, which who exists to point out that you know. Not everybody has money. Right. And that also not having money is the same as having craniofacial disorder. That he, too, has struggles, and they are not having a nice sled. So he's real great. Mm -hmm. um, and just like everything else in this book, it's about as subtle as being hit in the face with a two-by-four. So. Yes. <laughs> so Augie is, is going to start at uh, Pullman Prep, and he is scared to start Feature. school. Feature. 
It's Beecher. Oh, his remember? last name is Pullman. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's named after Henry Ward Beecher because just like everything else in this book, it's about as subtle as being hit in the... Okay, sorry. But you know what, Angie? You know what? I bet they're going to change the school's name to Pullman Prep after yes. Augie because of how inspirational he is. Okay? <laughs> yeah. No, great. That's It's true. You got me. You got, you got me. <laughs> I'm just looking ahead to the future. So he's so he's, he's, he's going to start school. at yeah. this private school, Beecher Prep, and uh, because he his dad doesn't think he should, and he's like really nervous, and his mom thinks that it'll be good, so she takes him um, before school starts to meet with like the principal and his teacher and some kids who are going to be in his grade, and the kids are Jack who like shows him around and like acts like a friend julian who immediately is like this is a garbage <laughs> child why am i in his presence mm-hmm. and charlotte who is a girl mm-hmm. um which is mostly her defining she's smart and she's a girl and yep. she gets quickly written off um and yes. i i think at the beginning it's kind of like maybe charlotte's going to be a character but then it was clear that she was like mm, girl i don't buy and so Charlie gets written off really quickly in the book. Mm-hmm. And Julian, Julian's the kind of bully where adults love him because he's kind of a suck up, but behind their back he's shady and gross. Which we see almost we see immediately. He pulls it out at once. Yeah. Yeah. No surprises there. Yeah. So Augie's like, well, like maybe this won't be so bad, and goes to his first day of school and. Like, all the kids are staring at him, but, like, Jack is still friendly to him, and there's some, like, complex Star Wars dissing going on Mm. that every other issue with this book aside, and maybe this is my ignorance, but all of the kids in this book are real into the prequel characters, which, when I was a child, when the prequels were coming out, well, okay, I was in high school, I think, but, like, when my brother was a child, when the prequels were coming out, like, people weren't into the prequels as much as these kids seemed to be. I so... was just gonna say, you know, this book's been around for a while. Was this just coming out when the prequels were? Uh, this book came out in 2012. I can't make any excuses about that. But... Um, I Parts of that rang true to me because my one of my really good friends, her, her brother was little at that time too. And they, they I 100% remember that him and a group of his friends grew those little Podwan braids. Yeah. And that was like, and, and also one time she came in and he had cut up a thing of yarn and taped it to his head and he was pretending to be Qui-Gon Jinn. And he had literally cut a bunch of yarn and taped it to his head. <laughs> yeah. Right, maybe, I, maybe. The kids are into the prequels. Kids no accounting like, for taste when you're eight. Kids do like dumb no, shit sometimes. But see, I think the thing is, kids would <laughs> if if this book was play, taking place in 2000, right? Because by 2012, no, I, I don't think they were into it anymore, right? I think they were into it when they came out, just like. This summer, I mean, kids are into Jurassic World. Like, remember the Jurassic? What was the first one called? Jurassic. The first Pratt, one was whatever. Jurassic World. The Jurassic second one is World. something else. I mean, I mean, they were into that when it came out just because it was a thing that was popular. But that, to me, is another thing with this book, right? It, it doesn't seem... When is this taking place? Is this taking place in 1999? Sure, then they'd want to be Ewan McGregor. But is it taking place in 2012? No, they don't want to be Ewan McGregor in 2012. No, no. Like, so to me, that was, that was, a, that was jarring. 
Yeah. One thing that does ring true to me about this is how annoying it can be to talk to kids who are, like, very into something dumb. Because this book gives you that, like, heavy-handedly over and over because, um, because they talk a lot about the difference between Boba and Jango Fett and how stupid (laughs) it is that adults get Boba Fett and Jango Fett confused. And they say the word Jango Fett in this book five thousand times and every time i was like why are, like Django fett why are we talking about this at all yeah. yes well, to be I... clear the amount that they're talking about star wars is not what's jarring it is yeah, the fact yeah. that they are talking about star wars movies that came out like 20 years ago yeah. before that well i mean i guess the other star wars all came out before they were born too but because it's the fucking prequels it's the prequels i can't believe that you're listening to this and not understanding what that means because you have to yeah Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's some there's some very complex Star Wars related subtle dissing going on. Oh, yeah, uh, and Augie and Augie has the little uh, Padawan braid that he's been growing out, and he's really proud of it. Yeah, but then he and goes then home he... and cuts it off because kids were mean about it. And he also at one point has a very long thing about how he at the end about how he doesn't want to be known as the kid who's into Star Wars. He wants to have other interests, and th- that part again that that was totally extraneous you're like why am i reading this so that like and he does want to take a star wars duffel bag and and that part just was it was it was just like so much else in the book you just dead weight that you could cut so um i think one thing that's worth noting for people who either have read the book and it's been a while or haven't these kids are all going into fifth grade and at beecher prep middle school starts in fifth grade so middle school is fifth sixth seventh and eighth at this school and so he's starting fifth grade and that's another thing i think is totally discordant in the book sometimes he talks like he's a literal baby and the other kids sometimes behave as if they're very small lower elementary and then other times you know we're supposed to believe that they're like 14 years 12 14 and so it's really hard to gauge the age of everybody in the book and um so that's just a note, I think, because middle school is obviously different wherever you are. But this is very squarely and intentionally supposed to be a middle school book. Yes. So where are we? Right. So he goes to school and like Star Wars dissing, blah, blah, blah. Um, he sticks He sticks with school. He doesn't like let his parents pull him out to do the homeschool thing. And, like, as time goes on, he makes friends with a girl named Summer who, like, sits with him at lunch and at first he's like, oh, like, you're sitting with me because, like, you're, you pity me. And she's like, no, I'm not. And they sit together every day at their, like, summer-themed name lunch table. Yeah. Uh, and he starts to get closer to Jack and, like, feels, like, really good about having friendships, even though Julian is still a little butt face. And then Halloween comes around, and he's going to have this really cool Boba Fett costume, except at the last minute he decides instead to go as something else. As the bleeding scream mask. Is is that a thing? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. It's like like the scream mask from the movie, but then, like, blood dripping. Like, I just don't under Like, okay, whatever. I'm a scream purist. This, I was going to say, this is offending Kate's horror movie sensibilities. <laughs> also, as, as an aside, he's actually going to go as Django Fett for Halloween. No, 
No, because I bookmarked it. He is going as Boba. Julian is and going Julian's as Django. And Julian's going as Django. And his mom repaints the armor. See, this is the kind of shit I wish I was dead about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of shit that is why adults are terrible. Because we just don't know the difference between Boba and Django. <laughs> I, I, know, I definitely know that I want to have sex with the actor who plays Django Fett. He's Maori and he's amazing. I'm sorry, that's just an aside. Out of the armor, though, right? Or... Okay. No, oh, actually, I'm not, here to... <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. I'm not here to kink shame you, Angie. Okay. We'll move okay. on. <laughs> uh, so he wears this other costume with school instead and uh, is sitting next to a group of other kids in costume and hears them essentially, like, talking about what a freak he is and he hears one of them say, like, if I looked like him, I'd want to die. And it turns out it's Jack. So he's very upset and he like fakes sick and goes home and like doesn't want to trick or treat because Jack is supposed to be his best friend and his sister convinces him to go trick or treating anyway. So then like now Summer is his only friend and he starts shunning Jack and I think at that point we switch. Yeah, I was going to say this book has a bunch of different narrators. So Mm -hmm. after the the Halloween depression sets in, then we switch over to his sister Via's point of view, who's uh, older and in high school. Just in case when you're reading this book, you ever thought to yourself, the narrator I really need to weigh in on this situation is his sister's new boyfriend, um, who she's been dating for two months. I really feel like his voice is fucking essential to this process, and I just can't write the fucking book without it. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna rotate him into the narration, just in case you're you're wondering what kind of like authorial like genius has gone into the creation of this. That's who you're gonna get to hear from at some fucking point. Yeah, it spirals very far out from the ostensible hero of the book. Yes. Uh, but so we, we have Via, who's his older sister. And I, I will say I did relate a, a lot to some of the things that Via talks about, where she feels like the world revolves around Augie, and she's okay with that. But like also it feels like her stuff gets shoved to the side. Because uh, that was, I had like very similar issues, not when I was this young, uh, but when my brother was in college, I guess, he had a whole bunch of breakdowns and issues and he was at school at UConn. And at this point I was done with college and living in Parsippany with my parents and they would go up to see him like every weekend and they would like be gone for long periods of time. Like my things were, were known. It was known that I should be prepared to drop anything whenever necessary so that they could go and do whatever he needed. And like, I understood that cause I was an adult, but it also kind of sucked, but they did buy me a stand mixer at the end of it. <laughs> so like, I, I kind of, I guess I, I also was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm pretty sure Via's going to get a stand mixer at the end of this also. I hope so. I love my stand mixer. Um I so I I think her point of view is relatable. I think it is also problematic in that there are a lot of middle grade YA books where it's like oh, we're going to tell you a story about someone who uh, is a minority or has a disability or like whatever, but we're going to tell it from the point of view of like a, a normal person such as you or I. Haha. <laughs> And I feel like that's kind of Via's deal. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely, like, not without its issues. And, like, a whole lot of the stuff that she actually says is very, like, eye-rolly. But that feeling of being, like, I accept that the fact that my brother is the center of attention for reasons that are important, but 
it also it sucks that my needs are not being taken care of like was very especially the time that I read this book was when we were at like in another cycle of that so I was like fuck yeah get this girl a stand mixer <laughs> Yeah, I've always thought, too, that um, she that R.J. Palacio really wanted to write the book from Via's point of view Um, from the first time I read it up until when I reread it for this time. I've always felt that she was really drawn to that point of view um, because that's what this whole book is. This whole book is an able bodied person talking about what another person's disability means for them. Oh, my gosh. I just you finish and then I have a pin I'm putting in. Yeah, I just I just have always felt that that I think that's one of the reasons also too that Via's voice comes across really strongly, unlike the other narrators, um, because I've just always felt like that's the point of view she wanted to tell it from. But like like many able authors, um, R.J. Palacio was unable to resist the siren song of the disabled person who uh-huh. is a is a noble martyr, um, uh, makes fun of themselves, um, you know. But I I've always thought that about Via, uh, the Via voice in the book. I just remembered on like in interviews and on her website, R.J. Palacio has said what the inspiration for writing this book was. And and it's a scene that's repeated in the in the book, uh, where when she had when she had a couple of small children, they went to the park and they saw a boy with craniofacial difference, and the the kids, her own children, like reacted negatively, and she was just like, no, like no, we don't say that, and then just like ran away from the whole situation, and she realized later, like, oh, that probably made that other little boy feel bad, and I probably should have handled that differently. Uh, let me write a book about this. And so that event, when Augie's telling you at the very beginning, like, my face is fucked up. Like, listen, one time I was in the park and it, like, scared away this family. And that kind of thing happens all the time. And so, like, that's, that is, like, what her point of view is. Is, like, the, yeah. the person whose children were frightened at the park. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've, I mean, so- but I, I agree that Via is one of the the better voices in the book. And I think that that's part of why I also can conceive of a world where this book before agents and editors and even critique partners got involved, by the way, let me stipulate able-bodied critique partners, the only people I'm talking about, but I can imagine a time when this book was YA and it was YA told from the point of view of Via before other people got involved and were like, well, what if so, yeah. You know, and that's the same stupid stuff with Justin, the boyfriend, and the stupid stuff with Miranda, the best friend. I think a lot of this reads as, like, she started it as a YA novel, um, and then uh, along the way, you know. And also, she can't, she doesn't want to miss an opportunity to tell us how beautiful Via is, how she's the most beautiful of all the friend group, and she's, she's long, dark hair. She's a beautiful biracial beauty, which, by the way, is another one of my favorite parts in this book, which is that Olivia, the Via, and, and Augie are biracial, and Augie does not know that word. Um, he is not aware that he is biracial, and at a point, he goes over to Summer's house and is like, you're, what's the word? And she's like, biracial. And he's like, yeah, but Augie is as well as is rj palacio i think uh, and so that's another neat little note in the book that <laughs> um augie's dad is white and his mom is from brazil am i right yeah yeah yes. so so that as another detail to the authenticity of this voice <laughs> 
So from Via, we get that she had like two best friends. And then over the summer, both of her best friends stopped talking to her, including Miranda, who like used to do everything with her and was like another member of the family. And so she's like starting school friendless and she's excited because like no one at the the new school knows her family or knows like her as the girl with the disfigured brother. And so we, we just kind of like to skim through her point of view. She uh, is joining a play. She's joining Our Town. And she gets cast as the the understudy for the female lead. And Miranda, her old best friend, gets cast as the female lead. And Justin gets cast as the male lead. And she doesn't want to tell her family about it because she's doesn't want them to come and bring Augie and then everyone will once again know that she is the girl whose brother is disfigured and there's a big fight about it and in the middle of the fight the dog dies Mm -hmm. spoiler alert yeah this is a book where the dog dies warning yeah yes the dog dies for I guess I don't want to say no reason but kind of for no reason for no reason there's no reason for and i say this as a person who doesn't usually give a shit if the dog dies or not but like there's no reason why i can conceivably think of that the dog had to die except to end this argument without any sort of like discussion right yeah i mean i think there is something to it's kind of like Part of Augie's journey on this is realizing that other people got problems, too. I'm not saying it's handled super well, but I think I think realizing, like, oh, yeah, the rest of my family love this dog, too, and, like, they're also sad. I don't know. But well, and also other things could have happened. Well, there's a point, too, where they talk about if the dog's in heaven, because we have oh, to God, come back right. to talking about heaven and Jesus and God. You know, so there's a part is the God is the dog in heaven. And and also the dog loved Augie because the dog didn't know what Augie's horrible, disfigured face looked <laughs> oh, like. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Just like every <sighs> just like everything else in this book, the dog's about as subtle as getting hit in the face with a two by four. Mm-hmm. So if you have that lack of nuance in your narrative, you got to kill that dog off because what is the easiest way to evoke emotion in children well we killed the dog kids if you weren't feeling bad enough already we killed the dog because she has no subtlety and she has no nuance as an author so you know i mean of course the dog has to die like of course and of course then at the end they get a new dog you know i i get it also they buy the dog off a homeless guy which i hate the homeless guy would the homeless guy wouldn't sell you a dog, you rich motherfuckers. Like, God. Here's a $20 bill. We got a dog. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Plus, like, we, there's no question about whether or not dogs go to heaven. There's a whole film franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there are several sequels. We all know. All okay, they made it. Don Bluff made it very clear to us that that <laughs> is what happens to dogs. Anyway. Uh, so the dog dies. And everyone's real sad. And then they, like, forget that they were having an argument because mm-hmm. they are so sad about the dog. And he has, she has to be put to sleep. And uh, I don't... Who who do we get uh, after that? Um, I think we, we get to the Summer. No. So next is Summer and Jack and we're back into Augie. We don't get Justin until part five. God, that's so terrible. Yeah. 
Um, so Summer and Jack, like, so Summer talks about how at first she was just sitting with Augie to be nice, um, because she's a nice girl, but then she realized she actually does like him, even though you wouldn't think that you would possibly like a person with a face like that, but she does, because he's, like, really nice and funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and she, and, and Jack in the next chapter as well, a big point on this book is, the the so-called nice kids are like, oh, people are mean to Augie, but he's actually, like, really smart and really funny. And there's this sort of implication of, like, so it would be, like, okay to bully somebody who had an intellectual disability, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't deserve <laughs> this because he's smart. And that's a phrase that's used, like, a lot. It's like, oh, he's, you wouldn't think that he's smart, but actually he's really smart. But some people aren't smart, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, so in Jack's point of view, in Summer's point of view, um, we get, we start to learn, I think, the background of the fact there's, like, this war going through the fifth grade of people who, oh, people were playing some game with Augie where it's, like, you get the plague if you touch him or something dumb like that. Yeah. And so from Summer, we get, like, some more details about, like, the popular kids and how, like they want her, him, her to stop being friends with him, and, like, some popular boy will ask her out. Oh, Julian! Fucking Julian! Who would want to go out with that asshole? Ugh. Julian will ask her out if she stops hanging out with Augie, and she's like, Julian is a shithead. Um, and also, we're too young to date, which is an actual thing that she, like, expresses multiple times over the course of the narrative, which, and maybe this is just me projecting, because so much of the book is just garbage about this sort of stuff, but, like, there are times where it definitely felt like she was being set up to say multiple times, uh, you know, we're too young to date so that it would be clear she was not going to date Augie. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, and also um, because this has just like a really infantilized view of, of um, kids. And also as, as we noted, it, it really is restrictive in gender and sexuality ben, uh, binaries. So they also want to let us know that Summer is a good girl. She's not just a nice girl. She's a good girl. So she doesn't think about going to parties and pairing off and getting a boyfriend. Um, and she doesn't, she wants to still play Foursquare at lunch. She's a good girl. And one of the things that's really problematic about this book is that there's good kids and there's bad kids. And this book tries to frame it as nice and not nice but it's never nice and not nice it's good and bad and uh, julian is bad he's a bad kid he's not just not nice he's a bad person and that's one of the setups too for summer i think that one of the setups for summer is she's a good girl she's not like those other girls she's not fast Mm -hmm. she's good and i i think that's you know that's another big thing big reason we get to go through all that with her I think there's also something, so, like, she multiple times says, like, she doesn't like how, and now that they're in middle school, kids don't like to play games anymore, and they just like to hang out, and she's sort of a, a voice of, like, a parent speaking through, who's like, why don't you kids just go and play a game? Like, why are you just, like, hanging on your phones now? But I'm I'm in fifth grade, and these are my opinions. I'm Summer. <laughs> Um, so we get Jack's point of view after this, and Jack, like, through Jack, we ex- we get the explanation of why he said all those awful things on Halloween, um, which is, like, basically that, like, he wanted to fit in with the other kids, and he didn't really feel that way, but he wanted to score points and be popular, and 
he doesn't understand why Augie is avoiding him and he's poor and his parents are divorced is he the one everyone's parents are divorced no is he one Ju- of the ones... justin's parents are divorced i don't think his parents are divorced they're just poor okay right? is that right i don't know i don't remember it's not important it's they're just poor important. that's the important part yeah no, well, they're because, poor. because nobody in this book has any characterization that matters so what does it matter right so they're all flat characters <laughs> And poor is just like being yep. uh, excluded because of your facial disfigurement. And he finds a sled, but it was like a rich kid's garbage sled. So then he can't talk about it with his friends. <laughs> it was Julian's garbage like, sled. Yeah. <laughs> right. And also, if you're if you're ever worried, like another real totally authentic, authentic part is that these kids use the word hobo. Oh, yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> it was a hobo sled, just in case... Really, the language that kids use, it's so accurate and true. Renata, why were we obsessed with hobos for, like, two years? I want to say it was John Hodgman, but I think it actually started before John Hodgman. I think, I also think it started before John Hodgman. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Because 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 we were the coolest kids at Beecher Prop, and we... Yeah, hobo. Uh... (laughs) But I think also that was partly why, because there's just something sort of like, and that's why John Hodgman's hobo bit works too, because there's just something like weird and old timey about the weird hobo, word hobo, mm-hmm. which is also why kids don't use it. But mm-hmm. these ones do. Anyway, yeah. we're pretty much caught up with the middle school drama. So let's go to, back to Via's boyfriend, Justin, and his point mm-hmm. of view, which is told in all lowercase. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like an <gasps> artist. He's like, cool. It's very California Diaries. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, I want to back up to the thing about Via. There's Via's having a real hard time fitting in in high school, except for then like two weeks later, it's solved. And she gets an entirely new group of friends and she sits with them at lunch and uh, this guy wants to date her. So that's another totally fake part about this book that Via is, oh, high school is so hard. No, it's not. I have a totally new friend group. And Justin is part of that. I have a new friend group and uh, this guy who I think is cute likes me and asks me out. And now here's his chapter talking about how beautiful I am. Also, Great. Via's problem is that she got more popular than her old friends. <laughs> Via's problem is that she's too pretty and popular. Yeah. <laughs> hey, being too pretty and popular is a legitimate problem. And and also, not only is she too pretty and too popular, but they're also incredibly jealous of her perfect family who loves and supports her every move. And, and they don't have real families. They have broken families but via has the perfect family and that's another problem that via has her parents are too supportive and they love her too much and they're too accepting of her friends they're so accepting that justin who has facial tics his facial tics go away when he is in the loving embrace of the pullman family that's another problem that that. has yeah yeah his facial tics go away because the pullmans love solves them another slight on disabled people thank you yep if they just had love they'd be fine yeah 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 if their parents just paid attention to them and didn't make them take the subway by themselves (laughs) yeah so so justin's parents are divorced which is obviously like a life-ruining moment and that's why he likes spending time with 
the Pullman family because, as previously stated, they are perfect and wonderful. And I don't remember what else happens in his part. Is his part where the play happens? His part no, is he- fucking weird where he starts, like, threatening the kids who are mean to Augie. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Fucking... And the, the stuff about the bird... And Via cries to him about, Via cries to him about, she just doesn't want the kids to know that Augie is disabled. She has a breakdown about it. And he talks about how she's a bird that he's going to take under her wing. And it's, it is, it's it's very bad. It's very bad. And it, again, is one of the reasons I think that this book was at some, in some uh, incarnation of a YA book. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, Justin plays the violin and Augie jokes that the violin looks like a machine gun case, and then he overhears Julian, and I think Jack, maybe? Jack is, I don't know. He overhears some of the kids, like, being shitty to Augie, and he's like, hey, I have a machine gun, and, like, if you, like, aren't cool to Augie, like, I'll know about it or something. He, he, tells, him to, he tells him to leave Jack alone, because he sees him harassing Jack when they're oh, going to the subway. That's right. And and also he then Via and Via and Justin just like all ninth graders are worried about their future children. So yes, just, deeply, yeah. So Justin, at some point, we have to hear Justin's dumb self talk about how he's not going to let his kids take the subway by himself because he's going to be the over. Shut up. He's the over. He's going to be the overprotective dad. And Via is also obsessed with how she's never going to have children because she doesn't want him to come out like Augie. Uh, you know, again, just really a clearly an adult voice talking through these uh, teen characters. And it's but he threatens the kids. He, it's Julian and his little henchmen, whoever the Amos, whoever they are. Oh, yeah. And he threatens them. And that's the end of his chapter. The end. He's a bird. He's going to put her under his wing. That's the end. Yeah. And then and then we're back to Augie for a minute. And we learned that Julian was telling people about uh, the threat that Justin made, but everyone thinks he's, like, making up for attention and no one believes him. It's super weird. And and again, at that point, um, it just stops. So Julian's, uh, Julian has continued to bully Augie and Jack. He sends them notes. He puts notes in their locker that's like, you should kill yourself. And they put notes in his locker about how an ugly woman named Balula not at all racially charged, mm. loves them and and sucks her knuckles and, and wants to date him, wants to date Julian. And they call this, quote unquote, the war. And then it just sort of ends. Then they're like, everybody got tired of Julian bullying me, which is exactly the way, as you might remember, <laughs> middle school goes. At some point, kids just get bored with bullying and are like, hey, let's stop. Let's play four square. Yeah, at some point they just get bored, and they're like Julian's dumping pencil shave. You remember that Julian's dumping pencil shavings on Augie's backpack, and he's like, and then one of the other kids just pulled it away because he was so bored with this. And again, so believable, just like a hundred percent believable that a group of middle school boys who include the most popular and athletic kids would be like, I don't know, I feel bored with this. Like, I, I suddenly, I just am over it. Yes. Um, this is also where Augie gets hearing aids, which he doesn't want to do because he'll look weird if he has hearing aids. Um, but then he gets them and the doctor is like, they talk about how it'll make him look like Lobot from Star Wars, that beloved character of Lobot. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about Lobot. And uh, that's the main thing. And then we'll jump to Miranda's chapter, who is Via's former friend who had they had a falling out with. And... 
Miranda, or just grown apart from really, but Miranda's fucking weird deal is that she at camp pretended like Augie was her brother and told people all about like how, you know, all the emotions she had for having a brother with a facial difference and like for attention. And it's weird, but we're, I feel like we're supposed to feel sympathetic toward her. And it's extra weird because then it's explained that the reason why she decided to stop hanging out with Via was because she was afraid that Via would ask questions about how her summer went with oh, the implication, yeah. I guess, that she yeah. couldn't lie and just say it was fine and move on. Yeah. And her, her, her parents got divorced because, as you may remember, they are not the perfect Pullman parents. They are monsters. They're human monsters, just like everybody who's not the Pullman parents. They're human monsters. And so they got divorced, and she has a lot of angst about that. And she also repeats that creepy-ass lie about Augie being her brother when the drama club is going to maybe do... Oh, they want to um, do Elephant Man. Yeah, they want to do Elephant Man, and Miranda repeats the lie to the drama teacher. She tells the drama teacher, my brother has deformities and we can't do this. And it is creepy as shit. And yet again, it's creepy, but it is also the way that able-bodied people frequently appropriate disabled people's stories and lives as things to prop themselves up, um, you know, as their own, not just inspiration porn, but as a way to make themselves more interested, you know. Um, so I think in another way... She has no idea she's doing that, but that's another really strong um, thing, a trope, not even a trope, just like a real thing that happens to disabled people because of able, abled people's gross-ass obsession with them. Like, how can I make this disabled person's life and their their experiences about me? And yeah. that she's just another person in the book who does it. Yeah, some of the ways that characters are shitty in this book are, like, very realistic in that way. Yeah. But not necessarily in a way where you think it's a critique. It's just, like, no. what's happening. Anyway, yeah. what else Miranda yeah. does is, uh, so Via's her understudy, and Miranda decides to say that she's sick so that Via can get to go on as, as the star in our Because town. none of Mar- Miranda's boyfriend and her <laughs> horrible divorced parents haven't come to the play. But she sees that all of the Pullmans and Justin are there, so she decides, like, oh, well, Justin's not there, he's in the show. But all the Pullmans have come, so she decides that, like, the best thing to do (laughs) would be to fake sick. And Via sees right through this and understands immediately that she's not really sick, but, like, has no other choice but to go on and do the performance, which, of course, she's great at. And (laughs) afterwards... Um, Miranda is invited to go out to dinner with the Pullmans and, you know, she accepts because she sees the error of her shunning via ways. And also she really misses Augie. Yeah. Um, so that's Miranda. And then the last part is Augie again. And they're going, it's an over overnight camping trip to some wilderness thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, and, in case, and other schools go, it's some kind of like huge campground. And, and if, in case you were worried that Julian is going to misbehave on this trip, our friend, the lazy writer, has just written him out. Uh, he decides not to go on the camping trip because it's baby stuff. So again, uh, the narrative, it's literally, I love it. Cause it's literally like you're sitting around and you're like, okay, how am I going to deal with Julian on the camping trip? Uh, okay. He just doesn't go next. <laughs> So, but then we get some new bullies and some bullies from another school fuck with Augie and knock his hearing aids in the ground. And then, um, 
in the woods. But then Julian's henchmen are there, and they stand up, and they're like, hey, no, don't don't be mean to Augie, that's not cool. But they, but it's already done, like, the hearing aid's already broken. But it's still yeah, some and- sort of, like, victory. And in the most infantilizing shit ever, they call him Little Dude. Yeah, they do. It's, it's, it's repeated through the text that Augie is physically smaller than the other kids. Um, and so they call him Little Dude. And it's the most infantilizing kind of bullshit that disabled people put up with all the time, physically disabled people put up with all the time. And it's really, really insulting. And yet at the same time, there is a part that I think is one of the actual strong parts in the book, which is that Augie gets really upset and he starts crying. And I really like that there's a moment where one of the the big popular kid, Amos, who's really good at sports, he hugs Augie and he lets him cry. And that was one of the that was one of the very few parts in the book where I felt like the author was and to me at that point it didn't even matter if the kids if kids were behaving like kids were. I think that was a moment where somebody was just kind because they weren't being forced to by the narrative. It wasn't some bullshit. It wasn't like he's going to get points for it at school. He was just one human being connecting to another. And it made me sad that the the narrative didn't have more moments like that. And it also was a time where she uh, rejects the rigid gender, gender binaries that, that run throughout the book and just lets them have this moment of kindness and that real kindness, not fake kindness, not your teacher told you kindness, not, not David Diggs wrote it on the board kindness, <sighs> real kindness. And that to me is, is it's the standout moment of the book. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so one thing I want to jump on real quick is you just mentioned Debbie Diggs writing on the chalkboard. <laughs> uh, that is who plays the teacher in the movie version of this, which is a little upsetting. But also, I guess, yes. get that get that check, Debbie. I don't know. You didn't write yeah. this. Um, get a listen, summer house. He has a fun blind spotting somehow. Yeah. Get a summer house. We love you. We love you. We're not mad. Yeah. But so Mr. Brown is the teacher who's very into precepts, which are like inspirational quotes. And so the book is just littered with his inspirational quotes, which A, is, like, cheap and lazy, but B, also, like, middle schoolers love inspirational quotes. Yes. Well-known fact. It, like, it is, like, they do. So I think that, that, like, 50% of the popularity of this book is just from, like, oh, it's a good collection of inspirational quotes. And there there is a separate book that you can buy that is just inspirational quotes. Yeah. And it's like because, Mr. Brown's precepts call in the book. Because if you're not familiar, if you're not in our field and you're not familiar with this, Wonder is literally any kind. It's, it's, it is a money-making machine. So if you want a picture book version of it, there's a picture book version of it. If you want spinoff stories, there's spinoff stories. If you want a book of just the quotes, there's a book of just the quotes. What there is not is that this book, which, as Renata mentioned, in two, was published in 2012, is still in hardcover. It has not been released in paperback yet. Because that's how well it sells. It's still in hardcover, and so I I think it just—I think they just did a movie tie-in in paperback, actually. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. I, I mean, I'm sure, and also you can get it. I'm sure for the school market in paperback, but it's not widely available in paperback. So, you know, from 2012, that's incredible. Yeah. And this book, it does have a, okay, let's, let's real quick wrap up uh, where they grad, they have a fifth grade graduation ceremony. Fucking sure. And... Which was very confusing to me because we had a fifth grade graduation ceremony, but that was because our middle school was six, seven, eight. Yes. And actually it wasn't called graduation. It was called moving up because they felt that calling anything but high school graduation graduation would devalue high school graduation. School is weird. 
Um, yes, yeah, so they have this this ceremony and their awards and everyone. But now, and now all of Julian's friends are officially like friends with Augie, and Julian is just like a social outcast who has no friends anymore. And there's a big ceremony at the end where people get awards, and Summer gets the creative writing award, and uh, some Charlotte and some other kid get some of the the valedictorian of fifth grade sixth grade edition award and augie gets the award for like being an inspirational human being who we all need to look up to or some bullshit like that yep yeah for being brave he's so brave he's so brave he's so brave because he exists he's brave for having his face um, and it's the, it's the named after the, the, the awards named after Henry Beecher. So it's like, it's, and it's usually, a, and literally he says, the principal says, and Augie thinks that this award usually goes to the kid who has done a service to the school. So he thinks Charlotte's going to get it because she's run a coat drive. And so it's not just that Augie gets this award. It's that he gets the award. That's literally for having to do a service to the school. And the service for the school is that he existed. Right, because also, because I don't want to say that it isn't brave for a child with a disability or a difference or a, to to step out of going to homeschooling into real school. Like, that is something that is scary to do, and, like, you know, prop, props to you for doing that. But that's not what this award is for, and it's weird. And the speech <laughs> that he gives is weird. And... <laughs> And it's just like, you wrote this book, you made up this award, couldn't you have done something else? But, like, to the author, to the author of this book, why didn't you think for two seconds harder about in what way you wanted to recognize Augie? Or if, like, Augie could have had a moment where he helped someone else and been rewarded for that, but... No, I mean, because that's why, because... That's literally what this person thinks, that disabled people should get applause for existing to show able people how how hard they, how how uh, lucky they are, which is a thing that comes up in Jack's. His mom repeatedly says, Jack, think about how lucky we are. Think about how lucky we are. So many people have it so much worse than us. We might be poor, but at least our faces aren't fucked up, <laughs> you know? Um, I think that's why. Um, And I I looked it up because I have it bookmarked in the Kindle. The final award this morning is the Henry Ward Beecher Medal to honor students who have been notable or exemplary in certain areas throughout the school year. Typically, this medal has been our way of acknowledging volunteerism or service to the school. So literally, um, he gets, you know, he's volunteering to teach these abled people something great. And I there's a lot about this book that I let go both the first time I read it and over the years, but rereading it and coming back to that moment, it's, it's, I, it, it's so galling. It is so galling that he literally gets an award for volunteering to teach able people a lesson. And it, it, it just, it's, it's upsetting, I think. And, and I think that if you teach this book, I think you really need to sit with that and, and sit with like what you're doing in that moment. And, the author obviously has not, and you need to, as as someone who's teaching this book, I think. So it it's hard. <laughs> it was hard to read personally. Yeah, and like like we mentioned, we will um, have some links on our website to um, different pieces written, especially by other people with craniofacial difference that I would definitely recommend checking out if you want to hear more uh, about why this book is problematic. <laughs> 
But yeah, now I think we should move on to our dramatic readings. Wait, we, yes. we forgot one detail. Do tell. Which is, again, the lazy writing. Julian is going to another school. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, and in the middle, well, and this is a dramatic reading, but his mom complained, like, his parents didn't think he should have to go to school with a kid with disabilities because it's a private school. And it's it's not an inclusion school. Yes. Yeah. So we do so, get a glimpse that, like, oh, Julian's parents are shitty, and that's why Julian's shitty. But anyway, he's gone by. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about him. We wrote him out. Just like we don't have to worry about him on the camping trip, he's gone. <laughs> like... Um... Actually, maybe was Julian not allowed to go on the camping trip because of the, he, I think we skipped over, he got in a fight with Jack where Jack, like, defended Augie's honor and punched him in the face, and there was some minor fallout from that. No, he just decides it's not cool. Okay. And then, and remember Augie says when they get back to school, Augie's like, yeah, Julian missed all the drama at the camping, so now he's out. Like, he, there's, that's, that's, that's a, right. he doesn't understand yes, yes, what yes. happened. Which, yes, yes, again, yes. that felt true, that if you miss one thing in middle school, everybody's like, um... It was the fight at the campground. So. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll get into our dramatic readings. So I'm doing our first dramatic reading, and it is when Augie is talking about his Halloween costume. And I, I mostly just wanted to give you all just a, a dash of the heavy Star Wars flavor of this book. <laughs> and, okay. I have pictures of me in all my Halloween costumes. My first Halloween, I was a pumpkin. My second, I was a Tigger. My third, I was Peter Pan. My fourth, I was Captain Hook. My fifth, I was an astronaut. Side note, we forgot to have his fucking helmet. Whatever. My sixth, I was Obi-Wan Kenobi. My seventh, I was a clone trooper. My eighth, I was Darth Vader. My ninth, I was the Bleeding Scream, the one that has fake blood oozing out over the skull mask. This year, I'm going to be Boba Fett. Not Boba Fett the kid in Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, but Boba Fett the man from Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Mom searched everywhere for the costume, but couldn't find one of my size, so she bought me a Jango Fett costume, since Jango was Boba's dad and wore the same armor, and then painted the armor green. She did some other stuff to make it look worn, too. Anyway, it looks totally real. My mom's good at costumes. In Homeroom, we all talked about what we were going to be for Halloween. Charlotte was going as Hermione from Harry Potter. Jack was going as a wolfman. I heard that Julian was going as Django Fett, which was a weird coincidence. I don't think he liked hearing that I was going as Boba Fett. Uh, skipping a a little bit. Uh, Augie, let's go now, said Dad. I have a meeting I can't be late for. I haven't put on my costume yet. So put it on already. Five minutes. I'll meet you outside. I rushed to my room and started to put on the Boba Fett costume, but all of a sudden I didn't feel like wearing it. I'm not sure why. Maybe because it had all these belts that needed to be tightened and I needed someone else's help to put it on. Or maybe it was because it still smelled a little like paint. All I knew was that it was a lot of work to put the costume on and Dad was waiting and would get super impatient if I made him late. So at the last minute I threw on the Bleeding Scream costume from last year. It was such an easy costume, just a long black robe and a big white mask. I yelled goodbye from the door on my way out, but Mom didn't even hear me. I thought you were going as Django Fett, said Dad when I got outside. Boba Fett. Whatever, said Dad. This is a better costume anyway. Yeah, it's cool, I answered. So, 
that's 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 just a small percent of the amount of in-depth Star Wars shit you can get from this book. Yes, it is very it is very complete. It is very there are no Star Wars details left unturned. Which again does feel realistic. Oh shit. It does feel realistic to how kids talk about Star Wars and things like that, but it is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right, I am going to read the emails back and forth between uh, Julian's parents and the principal of the school um, after Jack punches Julian to defend Augie's honor. Uh, So the first one is an email to the principal CCing Jack's parents from Julian's mother, subject Jack Will. Dear Mr. Tishman, I spoke with Amanda and John Will yesterday, and they expressed their regret at Jack's having punched our son Julian in the mouth. I am writing to let you know that my husband and I support your decision to allow Jack to return to Beecher Prep after a two-day suspension. Although I think hitting a child would be valid grounds for expulsion in other schools, I agree such extreme measures aren't warranted here. We have known the Will family since our boys were in kindergarten, and are confident that every measure will be taken to ensure this doesn't happen again. To that end, I wonder if Jack's unexpectedly violent behavior might have been a result of too much pressure being placed on his young shoulders. I am speaking specifically of the new child with special needs who both Jack and Julian were asked to quote-unquote befriend. In retrospect, and having now seen the child in question at various school functions and in the class pictures, I think it may have been too much to ask of our children to be able to process all that. Certainly, when Julian mentioned he was having a hard time befriending the boy, we told him he was quote-unquote off the hook in that regard. We think the transition to middle school is hard enough without having to place greater burdens or hardships on these young, impressionable minds. I should also mention that, as a member of the school board, I was a little disturbed that more consideration was not given during this child's application process to the fact that Beecher Prep is not an inclusion school. There are many parents, myself included, who question the decision to let this child into our school at all. At the very least, I am somewhat troubled that this child was not held to the same stringent application standards, i.e. interview, that the rest of the incoming middle school students were. Best, Melissa Perper Albans. And then the follow-up email to Julian's mother from the principal CCing Jack's parents. Dear Mrs. Albans, Thank you for your email outlining your concerns. Were I not convinced that Jack Will is extremely sorry for his actions, and were I not confident that he would not repeat those actions, rest assured that I would not be be allowing him back into Beecher Prep. As for your other concerns regarding our new student, August, please note that he does not have special needs. He is neither disabled, handicapped, nor developmentally delayed in any way, so there was no reason to assume anyone would take issue with his admittance to Beecher Prep, whether it is an inclusion school or not. In terms of the application process, the admissions director and I both felt it within our right to hold the interview off-site at August's home for reasons that are obvious. We felt that this slight break in protocol was warranted, but in no way prejudicial, in one way or another, to the application review. 
August is an extremely good student and has secured the friendship of some truly exceptional young people, including Jack Will. At the beginning of the school year, when I enlisted certain children to be a welcoming committee to August, I did so as a way of easing his transition into a school environment. I did not think asking these children to be especially kind to a new student would place any extra quote-unquote burdens or hardships on them. In fact, I thought it would teach them a thing or two about empathy and friendship and loyalty. As it turns out, Jack Will didn't need to learn any of these virtues. He already had them in abundance. Thank you for being in touch. Sincerely, Lawrence Tushman. Yeah, Mr. Tushman. So I'm going to be reading, um, Mr. Tushman is the principal, and I'm going to be reading uh, parts of his speech at the end, both at the graduation ceremony, and then uh, really I'm going to be reading the part where he, uh, they give the award to Augie. Henry Ward Beecher was, of course, the 19th century abolitionist and fiery sermonizer for human rights, after whom this school was named, Mr. Tushman was saying, when I started paying attention again. While reading up on his life in preparation for this award, I came, a I came upon a passage that he wrote that seemed particularly consistent with the themes I touched on earlier, themes I've been ruminating upon all year, not just the nature of kindness, but the nature of one's kindness, the power of one's friendship, the test of one's character, the strength of one's courage. And here, the weirdest thing happened. Mr. Tushman's voice cracked a bit, like he got all choked up. He actually cleared his throat and took a big sip of water. I started paying attention for real now to what he was saying. The strength of one's courage, he repeated, quietly nodding and smiling. He held up his right hand as if he was counting off. Courage, kindness, friendship, character. These are the qualities that define us as human beings and propel us on occasion to greatness. And this is what Henry Ward Beecher, the Henry Ward Beecher Medal is about, recognizing greatness. But how do we do that? How do we measure something like greatness? Again, there's no yardstick for that kind of thing. How do we even define it? Well, Beecher actually had an answer for that. He put his reading glasses on again, leafed through a book and started to read. Greatness, wrote Beecher, lies not in being strong, but in the right using of strength. He is the greatest who carries up the most hearts. And again, out of the blue, he got all choked up. He put up two index fingers over his mouth for a second before continuing. He is the greatest, he finally continued, whose strength carries up the most hearts by the attraction of his own Without further ado, this year I am proud to present, proud to award the Henry Ward Beecher Medal to the student whose quiet strength has carried up the most hearts. So will August Pullman please come up here to receive this award? So moving, so moving. Yeah, totally changed as a person. <sighs> Angie, great, great reading. I felt really like taken to church just now. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let the I, church I skipped, say amen. Yeah. I skipped the part where the, in the commencement speech, the principal talks about God, you know, I skip, and going to heaven and seeing the face of God and that the kids could have the face of God or whatever they believe in. I skipped yeah, that part. Whatever politically correct thing. Yeah. Yeah. Eat, eat a dick. God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Great job. That's just, that's what this book is. Uh, and now we'll play some would you rathers. Uh, would you rather... 
as a teacher, have Julian or Theo Boone Kid Lair in your class? Julian. The thing about Julian is you can tell his parents are going to send you, like, shitty letters all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Versus... But the thing with... Yeah. The thing with Theo Boone is he'd raise his hand and be like, well, actually, Mrs. Manfredi. <laughs> uh, Theo, I've told you 800 times I don't go by Mrs. You're married, so yes, you do. <laughs> well, actually, Mrs. Manfredi. No, I could take mom's asshole emails over Theo Boone. Uh-huh. That's fair. Plus, if you've got Julian in your class, you probably are teaching at that private school, and you're probably making some bank. Yeah. Solid, solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, See, I'm going back and forth between like Julian. Yeah, like he seems to be a suck up to teachers, and most of his bullying happens to other students, which is like within normal teacher bounds to deal with. And while Theo Boone is an annoying asshole to adults and children both, you mm-hmm. could have him just teach the class and get, like, a mm. free period to yeah, fuck yeah. around yeah, on yeah. the internet. And according to John Grisham's books, the kids would love that. They would applaud. Yeah. They'd be like, Theo, Jesus, you're the best teacher we ever had. <laughs> uh, so it's, oh. it's a tough choice. But I think I think I am going to go with Julian because, yes, I would be teaching at this private school where I could just like fucking send him to the principal every day and not have to play this. Well, I, I know what's been going on, but I've been letting the children work it out for themselves. Bullshit that uh, the principal currently at Beecher goes with. Yeah. Also, in this scenario, is Divi Diggs my coworker? Because Ooh. in that uh, situ- good point. In that good situation, point. if Divi Diggs is downstairs writing "Live Your Best Life" in chalkboard on his <laughs> board, and I can go in there and be like, "Hey," then I mean, Divi, yeah, I, I'm, I'm writing Hamilton quotes on my board. Divi, did you see? Did you see? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, li- I like the one about um, you and me. I'm sorry. What were you saying? I don't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. And I now will also take Julian. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm easy. Um, okay. How about, would you rather have to watch a high school production of Our Town or have to attend a middle school chorus concert? Uh, I produced a high school production of Our Town. <laughs> And the the kids who were in our production were very good actors. So I am going to go with that because at least, A, it's not a musical. So everyone, no, you don't have that thing where it's like, well, we had to let everyone in so none of the chorus kids can sing on key. I know because they let me be in the chorus of a musical once. <laughs> um, and it's not the like, we let these 12-year-olds play instruments and assume that they can all keep time together, which they can't. So our town seems safe. See, I'm going to the chorus concert because I have like the same taste in music as a middle schooler. So it's going to be like, yeah, I'm living for this arrangement of Katy Perry's song Firework. Thank you, middle schoolers. Oh, like what? Oh, you're doing Grease? I love it. And also, I'm not good at music, so I can't always tell when things are just a little off key. Like I can only tell if it's really bad. So I'm I'm fine. I'm going. 
Yeah, that's difficult for me, too, because I often get invited to both of those things as mm -hmm. a librarian working in a small town. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and choose the uh, middle school production, the high school production of uh, Our Town, because I think that that play is meant for high schoolers. And I love it when you have to see a 15 year old talk about uh, goodbye, Grover's Court. It's, it's just <laughs> It's it's like made for 15 year olds because you never feel that more acutely than when you're 15. Uh, the, 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 the beautiful sadness of the world. Goodbye, mama and papa. Clocks ticking. Uh, the greatest final monologue, you know, in theater. Uh, so I'm going to vote for that, especially if uh, crossover alert. It can be performed by the weirdo kids from Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see their ner theater nerd department put that on. Yeah. If we're doing crossovers, the thing I really most would like to go see is Riverdale's production of Carrie the Musical. <laughs> but that's a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so our last would you rather for this podcast is would you rather serve as a living teachable moment at Carvel Ice Cream or at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, our sponsor and the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie well you know obviously it's steaks and cakes while I would obviously uh, have no problem you know soothing my wounded heart with Fudgy the Whale mm -hmm. why do that when instead I could have both an entire platter of steaks and then a full cake yeah. Uh, and that'll really fill the hole inside of me after, you know, some children are horrified by my face and then their parents have to use me as a teaching moment. Yeah, give me give me that cake. I'm going to say steak and cake just because um, I would I feel like because of the Christian Mingle connection, I would have a better chance of meeting someone there who would marry me to, um, you know, help me fulfill my purpose and like take pity on me, which is really like um, the goal for all able people. If they can find someone disabled to like take pity on them. And, you know, I mean, a lot about God. So I feel like it's a tie into this book. You know, I feel like that's like. The obvious choice. Yeah. You get it. You get it. All right. Um, great game, everyone. And now we'll move on to Reader's Advisory, where we're going to suggest some books to read um, or, you know, make your middle school students read instead of Wonder. Because at this point, they probably already did read Wonder. In fact, I made a full-on brochure for our library of what to read after Wonder, because people kept fucking asking me. Um because kids do love this book. So a couple that I want to highlight, like, right off the bat, because they are some own voices, memoirs written by young young adults uh, with, um, well, Ugly by Robert Hoge is r written by a young man who does have facial difference. It's not Treacher Collins, like, in Wonder, but it is... It is similar enough to Wonder that I think a kid who was captivated by, like, you know, an able-bodied kid who was captivated by Wonder and wanted to get something else that wasn't written by R.J. Palacio. I think that would be one. Um, Laughing at My Nightmare by Shane Burkaw is written by a young man with spinal muscular atrophy, so he is a wheelchair user. Um, it's it's a funny memoir. Again, this is on voices. Um, and there is also... 
Gabe and Izzy standing up for America's Bullied by Gabrielle Ford, which is written about a, a wheelchair using child or not former as as are we all a former child who who wrote about her. <laughs> <laughs> guys <laughs> writing about her childhood and her dog and how and now they visit schools and are tell people not to do bullying because it's mean. But her dog um, doesn't die, though. A couple legitimate things. Um, El Defo, which is a uh, graphic novel by C.C. Bell about a... Uh, based on her experiences growing up uh, using hearing aids. It's great. It's They're all rabbits. I love it. It's amazing. Um, Inside Out and Back Again is a memoir in verse um, about a family, including a young girl, coming over to the United States uh, after the Vietnam War. And a less legitimate, well, I mean, not that it's not legitimate, but a, a less on on theme, something that's not a book, is uh, Dave, the comedian Dave Holmes wrote a review of the movie The Book of Henry, which is maybe, like, one of the funniest things I've ever read on the internet. And it's great, and we're going to link to it, because you should really just read it. It's it's just, it really teaches you, you know, a lesson about how you can use children as your, your inspiration to go forward and possibly commit a murder. But maybe not commit a murder in the end, because you remember how important that inspirational child was to you before he died suddenly of a brain tumor. Uh, it's fucking ridiculous. Great, great, great. Yeah. Angie, what you got for us? Um, yeah, I so I I really I recommend Ugly a lot. I think that it's really good, um, especially for people who have finished Wonder because it really is. It's more of like here's what the actual surgeries felt like. So I, I think that kind of detail. Um, I also I always recommend Rogue by Lynn Miller Lachman. Um, it is um, an own voices book about a young girl with autism mm. and um, just the way that she views the world and has a hard time uh, making friends. But um, also just is herself and it's it might be out of print um you might have to try to track it down but i really like it and um i also coming it's not middle grade it's ya but coming out and i think in the fall is unbroken which is an anthology of all own voices disabled work disabled writers um and it's short stories and it's both physical and um mental disabilities and they're all own voices. Um, and I also really like, I, I recommend the work of um, Anne-Claire Lazat. She's a librarian, uh, she's deaf, and she has a book called T4. It's also, I think that might also be out of print, but it's a historical novel about um, the Nazis, uh, you know, purge of people with disabilities. Um, and um, Anne has a book coming out next year from Scholastic called The Signing Island. So, um, and also she just, um, she's one of my favorite writers and thinkers. And I think if you go to her timeline on Twitter, um, she's got a lot of great recommendations. Um, and I, I think, did we say Hello Universe? We all wrote it, but none of it said it out loud. Right, so, so uh, <laughs> Hello Universe uh, by Erin Entrada Kelly um, is not own voices uh, for the deaf representation, um, but it is own voices for, there's a, one of the characters is uh, who deals with a lot of bullying is Filipino, and it's own voices for that. And that's that's when I think that, that 
that tackles this subject in a really kid-friendly way, but also a more honest narrative. Um, everything, and I think everything by Erin Entrada Kelly. Um, she has a book that just came out called You Go First. And the way that it deals with middle school bullying is one of the most realistic that I've ever read. And when I was reading it, I thought of Wonder, and I just thought about like how superior it was. So I would recommend those. One, we'll have, because um, we ha- came up with a lot, and we'll have all of these on our website, worstbestsellers.com. One more I'll throw out is Real Friends by Shannon Hale and mm-hmm. uh, Leon Pham, which is a graphic novel memoir based on, you know, Shannon Hale's written a ton of middle grade and YA books. I'm sure that you know the name Shannon Hale. Um, it's based on her own childhood, and I really like how it talks about, it. not even necessarily bullying but just how when you're a kid you can kind of accidentally be an asshole and not realize it until later and how that still has effect on people that still affects you and i like it for that it also like wonder is pretty religious but in a way that is much more like honest it makes sense because there's a memoir and she talks about like this was my experience growing up in this religious family and this is my experience because you know the difference here like with wonder it's just sort of background radiation that's not like explicitly dealt with but of course there are a lot of kids who do grow up christian or do grow up mormon um and and there that is a fact and if you can just identify it openly like there's a difference i think too from like being very open about it and presenting it as like here like explicitly referencing it and making it clear that it is like an explicit subject as opposed to just kind of littering it into the background and trying to sneak it under the under the radar yes um yeah so real friends um and then we will like i said have all of these and some other ones we didn't get a chance to talk about up at worstbestsellers.com so definitely check that out there's there are so many great middle grade books that deal with uh bullying and disabilities and living that are better than wonder so please look at it i and also there's there's not that many middle grade books that deal that great with disability in my opinion Uh, so that's that's a whole other thing but uh one thing i want to say about real friends and the christianity uh mormonism part is there's one of the parts i loved about real friends is that she thinks to herself you know what these kids that are being mean to me at school at church they're super nice to me and Mm -hmm. that 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 alone is the kind of clarity that wonder never even approaches, but that she has a moment of thinking these kids were nice to me at church and they are nice to me at church, but at school they act like they don't even know me. And that she doesn't ever say, doesn't that really make you think about religion? That really makes you think, doesn't it? She doesn't ever say that because she's really writing in an authentic kid voice. And that's a thing that I think is missing from wonder that isn't all the other books we mentioned that they are, they, they have a more authentic kid voice. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay, so that said, what's everybody's candy pairing for Wonder? <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with the concept, it's like when uh, we recommend a fine wine to go with your meal. Uh, here is candy. Uh, my candy pairing is the apple slices you get with a Happy Meal instead of French fries. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, something chosen by adults to be a more healthy and uh better for you alternative but which is really just not the time nor the place and not really uh, it doesn't really come even close to to filling that fry-shaped void inside of you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. good 
Yeah. Um, so I guess mine would be um, like a Werther's candy that your grandma pulled out from the bottom of her purse. And it's like half unwrapped and it might have cat hair on it. And your mom is like, take it, take it, take the candy, take your grandma's candy. And so you kind of take it and you brush the hair off it and you're like, thank you. And your mom's like, that was the kind thing to do. Um, or con or conversely, pixie sticks, which are not real candy and hurt your teeth. Uh, uh, yeah, mine is sometimes when you leave the grocery store and it's not like children selling candy for Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or like for their school trip. It's just like one adult man who has a table of Skittles and he's like, this is for charity. And I'm like, <laughs> what charity is this? Like, who are you? This seems... Uh, and you're like, who, like, what charity is this? I don't think this is a real thing. And you just have to keep walking. And that's like what wonder is. Yeah. Or the time when there is a kid who's going door to door selling for his quote unquote little league team. And you're like, you're 35. But then you're, but then you're also like, here's just a dollar. Can you give me some mints and go away? I just, I can't deal with this right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> you're like, Hey, little dude, you're 35. <laughs> Hey, little dude, you're standing outside the grocery store selling me Skittles, <laughs> and they are cheaper inside the store. Like, 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 this feels like a bad idea, little dude. <laughs> Versus, oh, Girl Scouts, yes. Yeah. Give yeah, me all of yeah. those. In this scenario, Hello Universe is Girl Scouts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yes, it is. Hello Universe is Thin Men. So... <laughs> So now it's time to play our favorite game, The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Angie will choose which most enhances the book, or choose paper, which is just to leave this book, just leave it how it came. Um, so one of the things that we actually didn't mention in our summary <laughs> is that Via is reading War and Peace um, because yeah. she's a serious adult teenager. Like it was not assigned for school. She just is reading it. She just has serious <laughs> hobbies. Uh, and if you've met me, <laughs> you know what's coming next. <laughs> Uh, so The Rock is a teacher at Via's high school, and he takes the class on a trip to see Great Comet and meet his close personal friend Josh Groban and, uh, you know, just hang out with the amazing cast afterwards. And Dave Malloy is there just to hang out that particular night. He was like, I might want to come see my buddy The Rock and his high schoolers and teach them about writing a really weird-ass musical. And then maybe they cross the alley and visit the Richard Rogers. And does David Diggs exist in the Wonder Universe as a person? And they, they'll find out. That'll be the mystery that they solve. And uh, it would impact the rest of the book probably very minimally, but it would make me personally very happy. Yeah, I'd read that. Um, well, if Wolverine were in this book, he'd be the gym teacher at Beecher Prep, and he has lost all patience with Star Wars shit, and he has made a rule that kids are not allowed to talk about Boba or Jango Fett anywhere in his earshot. earshot. And of course, uh, with his enhanced senses, his earshot is very wide, so there is a lot of places where the kids cannot talk about Star Wars shit in the book. Other than um, that, it's the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's hard for me, because on the one hand, you know, I like the idea that, um, maybe Julian could get stabbed with Wolverine's claws. 
So that feels good. That, that feels like for a, sure. <laughs> that feels like a bonus, you know. But then on the other hand, I like the idea that Divi Diggs could like take Via aside and be like, "Bitch, you need to take this down a notch or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to. I I gotta tell you, I have a precept for you, and it's called calm down. <laughs> uh, so like, I, I don't know. I guess I'm gonna have to go with paper because I cannot choose between those two scenarios. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, it's All too right. hard. It's too hard. Yeah, I think RJ Palacio can relate to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a dicey move, but I respect it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that just leaves us free to continue to write our weird wonder fan fiction in the background. (laughs) BRB. Yeah. BRB. All right. Uh, So I know sometimes it's really hard to tell what the moral of the story is. And I think with wonder, I know she was really trying to say something... I couldn't figure out what it was. I just, like, I, I knew that there probably was a moral, but it was not at all clear or bashed over our heads yeah. every other page. Yeah, like, yeah. if only this book had an official hashtag yeah. of some sort of concise moral. Advertising slogan, I think, is the word you're looking for. Yeah. Some kind of, like, sales pitch. Yeah. yeah. If only if only there were more moments. I feel like I would have been clearer if there were more moments where the book had hit you in the face with a two-by-four. Mm-hmm. So I well, feel like that was what... But you know what I think what we could do, though, is if we found a bunch of abled people and we asked them what they thought, I think that would really be helpful. Because I think what was really missing from this book was, like, what do abled people think about disability? Like, I think that would really help. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so we'll, well, I don't know, I'm sure somebody could tell us what the moral is, but I just don't know. You know, actually, maybe Duarte knows. Let's, (laughs) uh, let's go to Duarte's corner and check in with my cat Duarte and see what he thinks is going on here. All right, you know what, Duarte, like, you're right. It would have been sadder if the Pullmans had had a cat die, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad they didn't. I don't think they should have a cat. No, I know. Yeah, I I think that maybe you're right that they should have gotten a cat at the end instead of replacing their dog with a puppy. Mm. Um, but would you really want to subject subject a cat to living in this book with this stupid perfect family? Yeah, Dorje, as a cat, you know how much you hate to be moralized at. Yeah. All right. Well, Dorje, thanks thanks for reading. We appreciate it. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? I think we we said every no we, you could go on and on with this book. So I guess I would just say the same thing I always say approach even the things you love with a critical eye. And I think that applies to this book and I hope that's part of what we've done here today. Yeah, I would agree with that. And again, I do want to emphasize I know a lot of like very kind and caring teachers and librarians love this book and have found use for it and so if if that's you Take a, take a second look, maybe. But also, I love you. Also, just great comment is great. <laughs> yeah. Always, always relevant. Always relevant. <sighs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, so if you, if you want some more of our whole situation, you can go to worstbestsellers.com. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook, where we're at Worst Bestsellers. We're also on Twitter, where we're at Worst Bestseller with no S at the end. Um, we took the S away to teach you all a lesson. I hope you all understand what it was.
Uh, you can also subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you subscribe to us, please rate and review us. Uh, when you rate and review us, it knocks us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. And if you don't rate and review us, we're just going to have to continue to moralize at you about why it's so important that you do so. And uh, it's going to be tedious. So mm -hmm. let's just save everyone a lot of trouble. Uh, you can also pledge to support us on Patreon. Patreon is a service through which you pledge a small recurring monthly donation uh, that we can use to do things like buy new equipment, commission artists to make our new logo that is now not new anymore, um, to commission merch designs and all sorts of cool stuff, and then you get perks for doing so. And speaking of merch designs, we now have a, an entire merch store that's up on Redbubble that you can get a link to on worstbestsellers.com, and then you can wear our podcast on your body. And the best thing is, we, we thanks to Patreon, we're able to commission a specific Rock, Paper, Snicked logo, and it's beautiful and perfect. It is wonderful. And uh, that's all the things, isn't it? Yeah, no, I was just going to say you could follow me personally at 14across on Twitter to hear more about how great Great Comet is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can follow me on Twitter at Renata Snacks to see photos of how great my cat is. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter um, as Miss Kubelik, which is line from the apartment, uh, to hear more about how I really get angry about uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Angie's a great Twitter follow if you aren't already. Just very good opinions all around uh and we will be back in two weeks and i'm very excited to tell you that we will be back in two weeks with unmasked by andrew lloyd weber <laughs> uh just, oh I'm, man i'm hype get ready put on your masks and sneak into the basement and get ready to listen to this oh man <laughs> all right angie thank you so much for joining us Thank you for having me back. I really, I, I was so honored to come back and talk again. We, we knew that you would be the, a great person to talk to about wonder and you were. So, uh, thank you, Angie. Thank you everyone for listening and bye. Bye. Bye all. Bye.